Welcome to episode three of Hard Eyes, the podcast about fictional crushes. I'm your host, Lizzie Trashy. Because we will be talking about the X-Men in this episode, you might want to have the show notes on hand, in case you find yourself wondering who or what the fuck we're talking about. Those can be found on our website, hearteyes.sexy. Trust me, it'll be worth it, because I am joined by the uncannily funny Colin Space Twinks. Hi! Hi there! I'm so excited that, so basically I'm doing this thing um, in, for the December podcast uh, episode where I'm doing, since it's giftmas, I'm giving myself a present and it's like ba- sort of vaguely in theory giving everyone else a present, but it's really just for me, uh, <laughs> which is doing two X-Men episodes. <laughs> Yay! You get to talk about Inferno twice as much. Oh, so good. Uh, which is perfect because that was actually my like I was thinking about it like oh should I do is what if the two X-Men episodes like that's too many of the same things and then I was like wait a second um that's what so you might say about Jean Grey and Madeline Pryor just because they're clones but actually if you get to know them they're two very different people and that's just (laughs) what these two episodes of the podcast are going to be like (laughs) oh oh my god and doesn't like uh Nathan Grey Summers have like two clones of his own oh god i can't deal with him and it's like scott weirdly i don't think scott has any clones but he has a lot of alternate universe selves is it the age of apocalypse one who's like really hot and has like an asymmetrical haircut he's got that kind of skrillex haircut a little bit yeah that's age of apocalypse yes and he's he's buffed up a lot he's gone from like hard-working guy to, like, taking the 60-gram uh, protein shakes every day guy. <laughs> um, I have a picture of him saved on my desktop, actually, from quite recently, because um, I I was looking at, like, a Pixiv for, like, just browsing, yeah. as I do, um, and I found a this artist who does, like, these like beefcakey cyclopses, um, but they all have dick piercings. <laughs> it that that seems like if like Cyclops was gonna do one wild thing in particular, that'd be it. <laughs> it's like he has the other thing which no writer ever talks about, which is that he's totally being into dominated. But that's those are the two things. That's yeah. It. <laughs> but I was I know I was trying it like I that actually makes perfect sense. But I was like, I can't imagine Scott Summers getting a dick piercing. Like, it, which alternate universe version has a dick piercing? And I realized, like, Age of Apocalypse has Age of Apocalypse Cyclops has like a full Jacob's ladder, definitely. Oh yeah, just like up and down. He like just like pretty much just like something went bad in the relationship, and he got the Skrillex haircut. And then he's like, there's a piercing shop just next door. He's like, fuck it. <laughs> Sorry, the um, <clears throat> something went wrong in the relationship to Skrillex haircut explains no, was, a lot. Gee, that explains but, so much about yeah. like not just that specific Scott Summers, but everyone with a Skrillex haircut. <laughs> oh God! <sighs> yeah, that I um, I have learned to like. I've I've talked about this a bunch, but I have recently learned to love Scott Summers because I was not. A, I was really not a fan. Most people aren't, um, and it's uh, completely understandable because he's a total tool. That's what he is. He is a huge stick up his butt, and until like pretty recently, 
um, and, like in, in some past stuff, but mostly recently, uh, around before Avengers versus X Men stuff, writers just didn't know what to do with that other than go, "Hey, isn't Wolverine so much cooler than this guy?" Yeah. And so, like with a lot of him, it's like the it turns out the charm is that he has this giant stick up his butt, but and then finding out like what about that you can work with, and like I think a lot about like Hank Hill. Um, and how it would have been very easy to make him uninteresting whatsoever and make everybody else around him way more interesting and he give him no jokes. But they take this very boring, plain, stick of his butt personality and they work with it. And they've really started doing that with Scott. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of what I realized that like, oh, wait, he's a total dork. And that's what I like about him. Mm. That's like... Um, but what was your, I'm curious, like, what was your first um, introduction to the X-Men? Um, I'm pretty sure it was actually, like, there's probably a comic I read. My dad is, uh, was a hardcore comics guy, and I grew up reading various whatever I could find in there. His old Conan comics, so there's probably something there. But what I vividly remember is the X-Men cartoon, and even more than the X-Men cartoon in general, I specifically remember the Pizza Hut Personal Pan Pizza X-Men VHS tape with interviews with Stan Lee and other X-Men creators before the episode. Wow. Yeah, it's just like, I remember the interviews, there's probably a YouTube of it, and had Stan Lee and everybody talking on this goddamn Pizza Hut VHS tape you got with your personal pan pizza and to watch the X-Men. That sounds amazing. I haven't... We were not a a Pizza Hut family. We were more of a drive-thru family. Yeah, Pizza um, Hut, in retrospect, is really weird because, like, they, they they really were all about, like, they weren't about delivery, which is, like, the standard for all pizza places. Now, right. They were about family sit-down. This is where you bring, like... You, your wife, your two and a half kids, and you sit down and have a pizza. We'll bring stuff to you. And then in retrospect, you're thinking, one, that's so fucking weird. And two, a pizza has like eight, 12 slices. That shit's going to be done in no time. <laughs> it's like, what? why did we all agree to Pizza Hut family sit down thing? Nothing about it makes sense. You finish the pizza in no time. Do you order any sides? Probably not. You get a pizza, and that's usually it. Maybe some wings. You have the infinitely refillable sodas, and you feel weird now because you were sitting down at this sort of TGI Fridays-ish thing, but it's all pizza. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. I and remember. I do remember that now, actually. Like, your your description was very vivid, and they all had the hat. They all had the, right. the red hat on top of the building outside. Yeah, which is how you recognize which ones have gone out of business and exactly. have now been repurposed into other things. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think we went to uh, – my mom and I would go to Sizzler sometimes. But um, when I was a little – when I was that age uh, – because by the time we moved to the city, we just would get, like, Chinese food or something. Um, yeah. But when we lived in the suburbs, uh, the part of town we lived in and, like, the for some reason, the family restaurants were, like, a weird draw to um, various neo-fascist groups – <laughs> okay i can kind of see it it sounds like some sort of ham-fisted thing warren ellis would write but all right <laughs> fuck it totally does but it's true it's real um it, yeah i mean if you can imagine like you know this and this was also when my mom was uh my mom converted to judaism when i when i was a kid and this yeah. was around when she was converting 
So mm-hmm. I'd go with her and I'd kind of wait outside as she learned, you know, like the Hebrew alphabet and stuff. Right. And then afterwards, we'd like, we'd either go to Arby's uh, or Sizzler. Mm-hmm. And like, my poor mom, after, like, she's working really hard at this. And then we, we go to Sizzler and it's just like, oh my God, Nazi punks are everywhere. Um, so we kind of stopped going to family restaurants and it Naturally, became more of an Arby's, Arby's family. Yeah. That's bizarre and terrifying. <laughs> Why I've eaten at Arby's Nazis. <laughs> yeah, I do not. I, I have not eaten at Arby's since it is disgusting. Yeah, it is. But yeah, that's, uh, back to that pizza hut VHS tape is where I vividly remember. That's a- uh, yeah, that's incredible. I'm I'm gonna look that up and see if I can find a, a video of that to put in the show notes, and watch myself and enjoy. Um, I also watched the animated show, but did not unfortunately have the the VHS tape. Um, how old are you? I am 27. Couple months from 28, I look about 22, and it fucks up my own self perception. <laughs> okay, I yeah. So you're two years older than me. Um, yeah. So I was really young when I first uh, encountered the X-Men because um, mm. I started watching the cartoon um, kind of when it was airing, like when it first started yeah. airing. So I was tiny. Um, and my my mom uh, uh, is or was a professor and uh, she would get really excited about whatever thing I was doing. Um, right. And then, like, learn about it and write an article about it and get it published. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so my mom went out and bought, like, uh, this was this was later. Uh, this was, like, 95, 94, 95. Um, she went out and bought maybe 10 X-Men comics. And in 1994 or slash 1995... The number of different X Men comics that were oh, available. Oh yeah, that was that was a full like we are. That was in the bloom of the speculator market. That was when Bob Harris was in charge. That was when the X Men line was completely fucked yet making tons. Yeah, so I grew up with um, a cup like there. I think she had a graphic novel of uh, or like a trade paperback of some of the like classic Claremont stuff from the eighties. Um, right. or like late seventies. Um, cause I think dark Phoenix saga was in there. Um, but so they, we had that and that kind of gave me kind of grounding. And also they had that, they were showing those in the, on the TV show. Um, mm. those, some of those storylines, but aside from that, I just had this baffling collection of seemingly unrelated and probably literally unrelated comics. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, because you've got Uncanny X-Men, you have X-Force. Um, God, there were so many. You immediately think of Uncanny X-Men and you always think of X-Force when you think 90s X-Men. But there were like so many, it's hard to keep track. There was Generation X. Yeah, Generation X. Good. We had one. I, I had one of those. Um, she, like, we, she, we didn't have an Uncanny X-Men, though. The only Uncanny X-Men I had was the was some of the Claremont stuff. Right. Um, and we didn't have X-Force or, or New Mutants or like any of the, the books I have since read. Um, yeah. But yeah, we had Generation X, uh, X-Man. Um, X- fucking X-Man. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to piece it together. Um, and I found comic book stores just so hostile. 
um in the yeah. in the 90s to this tiny uh, child um uh, and it's not like i was not you know a weird horny little kid because i was but there was something about seeing like just this the massive posters of vampirella um uh, and just these like weird creepy you know angry horny dudes where i'm like lady I'm death a- swimsuit special one through 25 exactly that stuff like where i was like this is not a place where i'm wanted mm. <laughs> but yeah the the x-men i had like i would play x-men um with like my two friends at like preschool and kindergarten yeah. and we would all be uh the the kind of like you know leader of the group uh she'd yeah. be rogue because obviously yeah. you know like watching the cartoon rogues the fucking coolest yeah um and then the other one would either it would switch between being gene and jubilee mm. and i would be storm um yeah yeah and yell at the sky a lot yeah because she got to be really melodramatic and it was great <laughs> yeah it's what was that one line that everybody rips on? I shall be waiting for you at the monorail. <laughs> and she's yelling it in this super, super dramatic voice, and it's great. Oh my god. That's like I think that is my favorite storm that has been uh portrayed on a screen. It's it's like out of the options, you've got like this sort of you got Haley Berry going through kind of the motions, not having great direction. You've got Storm, who's like really intense and super dramatic, and then has reason for it. It's like in the cartoon, it's like she dominated the screen, and because she's like she's not gonna wait in the background because she's high, she's on all the time. Uh, yeah. Compared to the movies, she's way more interesting, way more fun. She's got no subtlety, but who cares? Yeah, who needs subtlety? This is '90s X Men. Like, yeah, this is not a place for subtlety. No. <laughs> But yeah, in terms of crushes, like I definitely was a rogue. Like I, I crushed on rogue very seriously, and I think the comics I ended up reading the most um, were just ones that had rogue in them. Um, yeah. And even if she was just like not that important, I would just read the page, you know, or the pan. Like I would just find the panels with rogue and just kind of fixate on them. Yeah, it's like because she's got a cool white streak. Come on, her hair and is cool. Her- yeah. And she's got a she's got an actually like pretty decent bodysuit, but she adds that air of casualness with her leather jacket. Oh, that leather jacket. It's so cool. It's it's like I I'm not a fan of like Jim Lee designs, but that 90s rogue design was really good. It was. Oh, God, Jim Lee. <laughs> Jim Lee, well, uh, should we get into the let's, depths? Let's of- go. Okay, um, so you described it very well when uh, talking about Jim Lee's X-Men, because, like, when I think about Jim Lee's X-Men, it's like, I can't remember plots. I can't remember what actually happened. All I remember is a lot of, like, hustler playboy shots of Psylocke, and as you described it, bored hot people scowling at the reader. Yep. (laughs) Oh, man. It's just... Yeah, I actually can't even think of because we got into talking about it on Twitter um, in this great and a great conversation because I was posting uh, Rob Liefeld stuff, yeah, and giggling um, as one does, yeah. And, and I think you very very intelligently pointed out that um, well at least he's got there's something there. 
Yeah, it's like he he's has a personality with Jim Lee, and it's so weird because he is basically the foundation of what's now the house style in DC and Marvel and has inspired, influenced, I should say, so much of comics now. He's got – there's nothing distinct about Jim Lee other than it's Jim Lee. Yeah. It's like you know who it is, but there's nothing interesting. Yeah, it's just oh, – it's such a snooze fest and it's a bummer and – it sucks because the I remember the stories themselves are pretty fun, or at least pretty wacky. Um, they, they were pretty wacky. They weren't memorable. You don't like I said. You don't remember arcs no. of Jim Lee X Men. It's like uh um what do you, it's like what do you remember about Jim Lee X Men? It's like uh Archangel uh like Angel gets a redesign and is kind of cool now for a while. Uh, what <laughs> else do you remember? Uh, Gambit's horrible constant thieves guild plots that no one cares about. Uh, it's like, and what else? Uh, Omega Red. Uh, what else? It's like, it's like 90s X-Men. I remember like Generation X and the X-Force and those kinds. Uncanny X-Men, it's just this kind of melange and eventually Strife is there. Yeah. Jim Lee X-Men, and this is the thing that gets me because like I don't really crush on anything there. It's like I think Rogue has a great design, but like my crushes there don't source to Jim Lee, either, to the earlier stuff. Right. And – you talk to X-Men fans, like core buyer X-Men fans, not like big – like the fans who talk online, the people who keep buying X-Men silently. It's like they're huge Jim Lee fans. They love him. It's like what? What do you love? I mean I think you kind of you kind of said it. They read silently. They don't have much to say. It's – but it's like it's weird because Jim Lee is a big seller. You put his name on anything and it boom, it pops. I'm like – I'm just constantly wondering. It's like, what's the appeal? I mean, I can think of one Jim Lee thing that I love, and mm. that's the pool party illustration. Yeah. Oh, oh, those were fun. Yeah. Um, with Wolverine in jorts. Yes. Yes. Wolverine in jorts. And that's it. Wolverine, jorts, Wolverine, which uh, if, if any listeners remember me discovering that on Twitter, uh, will attest to how much I fucking lost my shit. With excitement when I found that image of Wolverine and George's. Yes. <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, I like Wolverine. Um, obviously, I like Wolverine. I'm making a zine about Wolverine. But yeah. uh, he's, like, not even close to being my favorite. Uh, he's not mm-hmm. in my top ten. Um, mm-hmm. But I love, like, the way Wolverine gets packaged and sold to me. Um, mm. I think it's hilarious. Like and especially some of that, especially that '90s stuff. Because um, it, it's got that weird cross section where it's trying to be very cool and tough, and sometimes it doesn't quite do it, but they totally think it is. Exactly, yeah. Um, and that the like that fleet that 1995 spring break fleet trading card, um, uh-huh. <laughs> Wolverine eating those hot dogs. Yes. Um, I actually. Uh, Last summer, my for my twenty fifth birthday, I wanted to have a party. I, I planned a party based on that theme, um, and then threw out my back and couldn't have it. Uh, oh, that sucks. Yeah, it did suck. But one day I will have that party. Um, yeah, and it You're will in be California. You can have that party. <laughs> I really can. Yeah, but um, so I, I want to know who are your X Men crushes. Um, I have consistently said that the two hottest X-Men, like, flat-out period um, in, among general taste, and specifically for me, are Storm and Nightcrawler. 
Absolutely. It's it's like for Nightcrawler, it's the combination of one, he's like he just he's handsome and he's like he's got that kind of like cool devil look. He's like bordering on the edge of furry. It's like, but who cares? And it's like, especially not me. I definitely don't. And I know a lot of other people who don't who generally wouldn't fit in my like I'm gonna bang booger from Tank Girl kind of category. <laughs> um he he's a little he's a little bit of like the normie like getting into there. It's like oh you you you'd fuck this guy. It's like you wouldn't fuck these way more furry people. You wouldn't have sex with Star Fox or Falco, but you'd bang Nightcrawler. Um, and he's like he's so charming, which is the huge appeal. He's yeah. like he's like like he's not the nice guy, but he he's not like because we all know how like the nice guys. But he's like the really up. Be and he's like talking to you, making jokes, laughing. He's like doing cool pirate stuff and he's having a blast. He's really, compared to so much of the other X Men, he's a really big swell of positivity yeah. and excitement. He's always smiling and it's like, oh, it's like, how could you not fall for Kurt? He's just a blast. And he's not like the kind of like charming that wrote that not wrote Gambit is where he's obviously trying to fuck you. It's like you can be friends with Nightcrawler. Yeah. It's great. And Storm is Storm. She's uh powerful. She's like dramatic, serious. She's got so much going on. She's like she's so, so much. And I like and I, I think for a lot of people, that's kind of off-putting about her, that she's so much and so intense, but I love it. Um, especially, like, 80s Stormins. Like, people yeah. like the old Leather Punk outfit. I don't think she should be going back to it now. I think she should be moving ahead. But what it was, was then, was fantastic. And so much of her old outfits are just really great. She gets a lot of... She doesn't anymore. Her designs nowadays are kind of... They're not bad, but they're boring. But mm-hmm. her old designs were like even Jim Lee's all white and like silver and everything. That really popped. It did, yeah. And uh, you get the the get the uh, leather outfit, of course. And before that, you've got her cool uh, like sort of understated black and gold look. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah, she's got really good looks and she's got tons of personality. She was fantastic under Claremont. He, she was obviously an author favorite yeah. of Claremont. And then you hit the 90s and she falls off completely and it sucks. Yeah. Um, I reread the kind of seven, kind of from um, Giant Size X Men 1 to uh, I'd say like mid, like 1985 ish. A lot of X Men. Uh, yeah, I reread that fairly. Like that's I, I've read that quite recently. Um, and her stuff with like her relationship with Kitty, um, and like that mentorship, and made me like <clears throat> really connect with her in a way I hadn't before. Um, yeah. And because when I was a little kid, that didn't that kind of didn't. I don't know that that kind of nuanced relationship was too kind of too complex for me to understand. <clears throat> it's like okay, she cares about Katie, and yeah. Um, um, and I had you know like I had my mom had cool friends that I like were in my life, so it wasn't. I was like, yeah, people, everybody has this, whatever. Um, but then like after you know twenty years of seeing kind of relationships between women um, portrayed in media. 
uh, coming back to that and being like, oh my God, this is an amazing relationship. Yeah. Um, and then, and like kind of getting that emotional connection with Storm. And then at the same time reading like the, uh, her stuff with the Morlocks. Yeah. And just being like, oh my God, Storm is so hot. I can't deal with it. Yeah. She, she was, <laughs> that was her like best period and she hasn't gotten it back since, yeah. which is a shame. It but is. she was like getting life death and the Morlocks and all this stuff. She yeah. was really popping off the page. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, when people, generally when people ask me, uh, like, who my, who the hottest X-Men are, I'm like, in general, it's, it's, yeah, it is Nightcrawler and Storm. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, like, we're not including villains, so that's who it is. Um, yeah. But, yeah, Nightcrawler, exactly. Yeah, I, I completely agree with the, the charm. And, like, I, when you were say, when you were talking, actually, I was kind of imagining, like, oh, my God, a date with Nightcrawler. It, it, he actually feels like he'd give you a good date. He'd put thought into it. He'd make it an adventure. <laughs> oh, my God, it'd be the best date. I want to, like, I don't know, maybe, I, I don't think, I, I can't plan my, my weird Twitter fanfic uh, threads, <laughs> but... I mean, I'm filing that. I'm filing Date with Nightcrawler away along with, like, running into Snagglepuss at, uh, at you know, <laughs> at, like, the, the country western gay bar. Um, yeah. But it's like with, like, with uh, a date with Logan is he awkwardly takes you to a bar. Uh, yeah. A date with Scott is he goes through the motions. He takes you to a dinner and a movie. It's like, and it's nice, but you know what you're getting. And yeah. with Gambit, it's like, it's hot but sleazy at it's the same really time. Sleazy. So it, it really depends. Like, <laughs> do I want the sleaze now or no? Um, and then you like you go through the motions. Like, you got Angel where he can spoil you rotten, but he's got nothing else. Uh, you got Bobby where it's like, eh, whatever. It's like <laughs> Bo Bobby. Bobby is like uh, would have been the person like you date. It's like, yeah, that was perfectly functional. And that's all it was. Yeah. But with Nightcrawler, it's like that that's the kind of stuff you get like the cheesy romance stories out of. Like he takes you to the theme park, you go on the roller coaster and the carousel with him, and you're having the time of your life. Yeah. <clears throat> no, that's it would like the the Nightcrawler date would fit very well. Fit fit in very well with like an Otome game. Um like a, <laughs> like yeah, I, I I can I can very much see that. Yeah, like event like there would, you know, and something would happen and he would kind of charmingly, suavely, like, I don't know, fix whatever problem it was. Um, uh, and just him talking to anyone. I love him so much. He's so yeah. hot. <laughs> he doesn't lay it on thick. No. He's so, he's so earnest. And genuine. Like, he, he knows he's charming, but he doesn't do that creepy, like, gambit, like, eh, that lidded eye smirk. Yeah. Like, like I said, it's full smile, open eyes. He's That's him. Yeah. Ugh. And I, I mean, thinking about Nightcrawler actually is reminding me of one of my other big X-Men crushes, um, his his teammate on Excalibur, uh, Rachel Summers. Ah, uh, Rachel. Rachel and her mullet and her spike outfit. Oh, she's so cool and sad. She's, <laughs> she's really hot sad. and sad and intense. And like, I mean, what more can I ask for in a girl? Yeah, she she goes through a lot. Um, yeah. God, it's like because like that's that's kind of the whole like if you're connected to Jean Grey like directly like related to her or cloned of her whatever here's what you get you get tons of power 
and you get a lot of fucking tragedy. Yeah. You probably die a couple times, at least. Like, that fucking... T- what was that fucking time? I don't remember the name of the villain, but... um. I think I think it was specifically Rachel. She was planning to kill this like vampire lady or whatever that had been killing everyone. And Wolverine comes up to her. It's like, no, we yeah. don't kill. And then Wolverine kills, like tries to kill Rachel to show that they don't kill. It's like Wolverine, was you kill so people weird? all the time. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. Oh my god. Yeah, that made me. Yeah, Rachel. Which is why I was so psyched when she like um, kind of reading through again and then getting like jumping over to to Excalibur. And seeing her, like, getting to have fun adventures. Yeah. Um, which is also, I ship Rachel very hard with Kitty. Um, I do. It was uh, like, I, I can't remember. It was like, Kitty had actually, like, Kitty had about finally hit 18 around then, right? Yeah. She's like, uh, she's like, you know, like, late teens, early 20s, I think, in Excalibur. Yeah. She, she's the one, like, young X-Man who actually gets to age. Yeah. It's like, because Jubilee, she she appeared in, like, the late 80s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she, uh, as of, like, a, a, and I think a Wolverine mini or an X-23 mini, she's 17 years old then. Right. Yeah, so it's like, how's Kitty in her mid-20s now, but Jubilee is, like, <laughs> only just now getting to vote. <laughs> I mean, I think Kitty is still in her mid-20s now in 2015. Yeah, um, she hit her mid-20s and then kind of stuck there. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, ah, poor Kitty. Kitty, ah, she, she is such a huge topic, and we were talking about her, because Kitty is this big pin of, like, not just X-Men comics, but X-Men fandom. Yeah. She is a lot of things to a lot of people, and, um, back when she originally appeared on the scene, she was basically, like, your standard audience character, like, because the X-Men are all these bunch of weirdos with tragic pasts and all this. And then you get Kitty, who's from the Burbs, and, yeah. like, hanging out. It's like, she's your connection. She's your rope in. And that had a very weird effect. Like, with uh, with a lot of, like, women, I think, reading, they felt like, oh, there, here's this girl who's a lot like me she's kind of awkward really smart and she's getting into these adventures like oh i finally have this sort of personal connection to the x-men but then there was the reaction she had with the boys yeah um because like with the the women of x-men you have rogue and she's villainous past she's very tough very assertive minded you've got gene who's the host of the phoenix very blunt um kind of kind of like she's graceful blunt she holds herself very high up chin up in kind of in a different way than emma frost does but she's like that you've got storm who's got so much going on has all this power and like to a lot of them it's like the way i thought of it with like compared to kitty at least with um those ex-women like the fans like they thought they were hot of course they would have sex with them but they never thought they could date them. Kitty is the girl next door. Right. And that, like, um, I think it was the book The Secret History of Marvel that said this, that back in the day, they used to get, like, bucket loads of fan mail from readers asking if Kitty could be their girlfriend. Wow. That explains a lot about uh, subsequent uh, writing of Kitty Pride. <laughs> 
It really does. Because um, with, like, Kitty, it's like I think of a lot of different factors. Like, one, she's she doesn't have this bizarre past. She's a girl from the burbs. She is the girl next door. Two, her power isn't offensive. Not at first, at least. It's phasing through things. It's mm -hmm. not intimidating. She can go through things, but she's not, like, that same kind of aggressive. Yeah, and she'll fuck up your computer, but... You know, she's not going to throw you across the room. No, she's smart, but she's not too smart. She's nerdy, but she's not too nerdy. She's fo she's forward, but not too forward. She was this perfect, just not as intense girl and close enough like them that this part of the X-Men fandom really fixated on her. Yeah. And it has made, it has completely changed, like, the path of X-Men from then onwards and to where they are now, because... It used to be back then, like very obviously, like uh, Storm was like kind of like the character, Claremont right. favorite, and that. And now Kitty has so outgrown her in popularity and in author use that, like when they had this, when they did Battle of the Atom, which was a terrible X crossover event, and like Kitty um, turned away from her headmaster duties on oh, yeah. the Jean Grey school to help out the five time displaced original five X-Men. It's uh, God, it's such a complex plot for s nothing. Yeah. And she, she pushes away storm, but it has no feeling cause they haven't used storm for anything. That old relationship between storm and Kitty went so unused since about nineties X-Men that Kitty rejecting storm means nothing. In, yeah, uh, the modern day, but um, with like with the basic thing with like Kitty, it's like she became this sort of thing for so much projection of the audiences. Whether you wanted to be Kitty or date Kitty, she became this kind of iconic character, despite not having the same like super intense past and all thing. Um, IGN specifically in their top fifty X Men, they put her at number one. Yeah. Um, and I've never been a great big fan of Kitty. I think her powers are cool, but I never, I never really liked her that much. I was like, and you go back and read old X-Men, I think she was a lot more interesting, even though I don't really find myself a big fan of her because she was selfish and self-centered and like, she was emotional. She wasn't this sort of like object of perfectness that the yeah. writers, um, in New Mutants, you see it especially where she's badgering Professor X to on the new mutants um she's whining to iliana all the time and like it was really interesting because she couldn't get out of herself she really like as good a person as she is this was her crucial flaw she's so focused on herself yeah um i mean that that definitely is a thing that i mean i just i i agree i, I find kitty very uninteresting um in later in later comics um but back in that era I think she's she's so interesting and that and the way that her being the kind of the only kid member of the X-Men affects her and affects her personality development and um and the way she gets older so that she she gets she matures in certain ways but not in other ways and I yeah. feel like that self-centeredness is definitely a part of that and I think that's just that's such smart writing it was um but you don't see, and I mean maybe I you know, maybe in the clusterfuck of the 90s, she somehow matured past that. And I missed it because it was in the clusterfuck of the 90s. But I kind of feel like that isn't in there. Um, and I mean, I think she does do a lot of growing up when she's on Excalibur. 
but um, nothing to the to the that would turn her into the kind of flat, hot, boring character she is now. Yeah, she right now she's like very much a lot of her feels like the um, the sort of nineties cartoon standard of how you write the leader character in yeah. an action cartoon. She's like she's brave, um, she's smart, and uh, she's she's attractive, whatever. And it's like she has nothing really going on with her. She's like she's this very flat, plain, good. Yeah, and. I think of her like uh, I mentioned this, and I think of three specific people when I think of Kitty Pride and the way she reacts with audiences and with writers. And the first is Joss Whedon. Right. Joss Whedon did an X Men run, and it kind of was like a back to basics, and it got a lot of people into it. And Kitty was a very big part of it, and so was bringing back Colossus for a ship I don't really think is a great idea. Yeah, and is that the run where? Um towards the beginning of it there's or there's a, a lot of it is kitty's um tension with emma frost yeah there's a lot yeah. of like her and emma frost like going back and forth is that the one where she takes her heart out i that's think a it very, might be, that's a very I, vivid it's image. either that or an alternate <laughs> universe or whatever yeah or like a somewhat fantasy or something but i think but, that's in that run Joss Whedon has said that kitty pride was a huge influence on buffy the vampire slayer and so he, you can see immediately, like the kind of like the like how she's like this big nerd girl fantasy kind of thing. It's like mm -hmm. you can see the influence there, and you can also see where the patterns reemerge. Because at the end of Whedon's run, he puts Kitty in a space bullet and shoots her away because he can't help himself. <laughs> God, but I mean that actually um, that is interesting. That that he, I mean that makes perfect sense that she would be. Uh, but that does make me think about Buffy and think about Willow um, in particular and what an interesting character she is for like the first half of that show. Mm. Um, and then once she gets older and more powerful, they don't really know what to do with her. Yeah, it's I never watched Buffy. See, okay. I, no, I saw I saw one episode of Buffy. Uh, a friend of mine was super into Buffy, was writing fan fiction in her notebook, old school kind of thing. Oh, and yeah. I kind of had a crush on this friend, and uh, so I wanted to, like, get into her stuff. And so we uh, – I decided to, like, watch an episode of Buffy, and the episode that came on was one of the episodes with the Buffy sex robot. Oh, God. And so I went, I'm never watching Buffy again. And it's like I thought it was – since that was the only episode I watched, I thought that was the only episode. So when I talked about it later, years later, people online, it's like, oh, it's like – that's actually not the only episode with a Buffy sex robot. Yep. And it's like, oh my god, and it's like, and people were into this? It's like, well, that came way later. I'm like, oh. But yeah. it's like, so you can see a lot of, like, how 80s and 70s Claremont X-Men and Kitty Pride in particular influences Joss Whedon yeah. with how he writes his women. Yeah. And also how he does certain, like, he does a, with, uh, Willow is Buffy's best friend, who's the hot computer nerd girl, um, mm. who's, you know, she's Allison Hannigan, and she's awkward, and in the first season, she dresses really, really badly, and she kind of gets a little less, you know, dowdy, but she's still kind of awkward and cute, um, great at computers, gets into witchcraft, right. they do a Dark Phoenix plotline with her, uh, mm. 
in season six, uh, which is the second to last season. And then, you know, they, they take away her, uh, they, they kind of, he keeps having bad things happen to her. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of a mess, uh, especially with a character who is very much the, the kind of point of identification with girls right. uh, on the show. So like very get Western Gen or Bochi, whatever. But um, it's like so. Whedon's the first big one I think of when I think mm-hmm. of like um, writers specifically having this thing around Kitty Pride, this specific kind of writer. And then I think of Brian Michael Bendis, um, who just recently wrapped up a really uneventful X Men run. But even before that, you go back to his Ultimate Spider Man run. His very critically acclaimed original Ultimate Spider-Man yeah. run. Um, and one of the things that you remember is he had Peter date Kitty Pride. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and sure, it's like at first you think it's like, yeah, of course that makes sense. They're kind of like they're just kids. They're like teenagers with in these situations that they're way out of the thing. They're both that same kind of thing. Of course they connect. And so on first blush, you don't think twice about it. It makes absolute perfect sense because it does. I'm not laying that one against him because it really does make sense. But then you note when he gets Kitty Pride into his hands again in his X-Men run. And it's like he specifically like he, he during the Battle of the Atom plot, he engineers it. So uh, she leaves the Jean Grey school and then she jumps onto Scott Summers' team that's doing this revolution that actually isn't a revolution. And God, I hate Bendis' <laughs> run. But the thing you really notice is not only does he – he's writing both X-Men books, like both Uncanny and All New. So he's the pivoter. He's yeah. the driver of the X-Men line. He gets her from X-Men to the next X-Men, but then – he takes her away from X-Men entirely. She's in Guardians of the Galaxy, which he also writes. Yeah, but I mean, she needs to hit get all the Peters. Yeah, she she <laughs> has Piotr. Um, she has Peter Parker. She has Pete Wisdom, which was an ill-advised plot by Warren Ellis, who didn't do enough source reading. Um, not for, like, personality. It's like, uh, do you know how old Kitty is? Like, what? <laughs> it's like, um... Um, and then... You have Peter uh, Quill. Peter Quill. Yeah. It's like you've got all these uh, boring black or brown haired boys. Yep. Well, we just, I mean, fortunately, the ne- the next Peter or Peter alternate I can think of is, you know, Pietro Maximoff, who at least has cool hair. <laughs> oh, God. No. He, I <laughs> that would be imagine. the worst relationship. <laughs> it would be awful. And I can't imagine <laughs> Ben just doing much with him because he's like an asshole but a really interesting asshole and that's not kind of his thing yeah. um but so like he you notice he consistently grabs makes sure he has control of kitty and yeah. she is like he's kind of the definer of her current status now of like that very plain perfect leader yeah it's like every plot line he wrote during his x-men run kitty was always right she was never wrong um even when she changed contradicted herself or changed her opinion she was never wrong the plot lines always painted her as being in the right whether she was in the jayton gray school or whether she was joining cyclops's team that's a really good just, point yeah um like you think he'd focus on the fact that uh kitty was supposed to be headmaster um yeah and she's supposed to be in charge of all these students that's her responsibility 
Well, especially while, because um, I mean, she's headmaster of the Jean Grey school. That's the same Jean Grey school that Wolverine's headmaster of in Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he's off doing not headmaster things. Um, and he's not a on, like, good headmaster. No, he's on like 50 different teams. So someone's got to get some work done. Um, no. So yeah, that that would make sense for... Um, the thing that really, that I find really striking about modern Kitty Pride, um, especially because I think of her so much as somebody who has really, has these really great relationships with other women, um, be it Storm, be it Ileana Rasputin, uh, be it Rachel Summers, um, that she, all of these relationships have somehow disappeared. Um, and they're so important to her development as a person. Um, like not just her development as a character, but her development since she, you know, we've, we've known her, uh, in the X-Men since she was a, you know, 13, since she was 13, right? 13, 14? Young, like yeah. 14 or something. Yeah. Very young. Um, so it's not just foundational for the character. It's foundational for who she is. Um, so the fact that these relationships just don't exist anymore, like you were mentioning about Storm, um, I'm also thinking of in Bendis's run, that's I think towards the end of Battle of the Atom or at the beginning of all new of all new X Men, um, when Kitty is hanging out with, uh, she's you know the 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 quote unquote revolutionary but not actually revolutionary X Men team led by Cyclops, uh, they're all hanging out at the old Weapon X facilities in Canada, and. Um, and Magic, Ileana Rasputin, is part of that team. And they have this, like, moment that's supposed to be, I guess, supposed to be kind of heartfelt. But it feels really, like, sad and uncomfortable. Um, where I think, like, one of them, like, Kitty tries to hug Ileana or something. And then they just kind of sit there and look at each other and then leave. Yeah, it's, it's like, because with Ileana right now, it's, like, it's a very flat best friends relationship. Yeah. Because... Since they won't or can't give Kitty any kind of, like, internal conflict or anything, like, any kind of flaw, like, it's, like, her relationship, there's no meat to it. It's right. it's, it's the very bendest thing where they just quip back and forth at each other. Yeah. Where back in the day, you'd have, like, like I was saying, like, Kitty will be whining that Professor X doesn't take her seriously. And Ileana will go, at least you didn't grow up in hell and limbo. <laughs> And Kitty would go, and kick the <laughs> dirt. I'm sorry. Ileana in those is in those issues uh, is so delightful. Like that era, that New Mutants Ileana. Um, there's that one. There's one thing where she's like setting the table or something, and she's she like uses demons. <laughs> yes, and, and the table settings are all like demonic and like very like 80s heavy metal satanist um and then it's it's but it's also it's this kind of oh you darn de you darn demons wah wah yeah it, I, I think <laughs> bendis tried to feed off that because he made his Ilyana like very like off the wall very uh kind of jim carrey-esque in places uh. and it's like, I think he was drawing off that kind of thing, but he didn't have it contrast with the fact, like, he he made magic herself very wacky instead yeah. of magic reacting to wacky things. Yeah. The third person I think of, who hasn't written the X-Men, but I think best exemplifies the way Kitty Pride resonates with this group of readers and writers, 
was uh, Aaron Diaz, the creator of Dresden Kodak. Um, and he is known for a lot of things, to put it nicely. Um, is he the guy who got really upset, like, about last Lincoln? week? Yeah. He, he's the guy who got really upset because he felt like he did this Zelda idea better. As like, And then he got roasted by the entire goddamn internet. Yeah, that was... Um, I mean, I don't really know who he is, but that roast was really funny. With the context of the previous time, he got really burnt to the ground because he, um, because an artist sort of made fun of the way he treats women, and then he got really shitty about it, even though he constantly criticizes other creators for how they treat women. Um, he got he got burnt to the ground for that, but he did uh, among his many reboots and redesign ideas, he did one for the X Men. And it's terrible on a lot of levels. Um, it's offensive. Like uh, in his idea, it's like Professor X is faking his disability. Uh, Storm's a warlord. Uh, all this other really awful shit. This really gross shit. But it's like when it comes to Kitty, the first thing you notice is every other X-Man on his team has a physical mutation of some kind. Even... Like uh, Rogue, she gets vampire teeth out of nowhere. Jean Grey, her face is being covered in these weird etched-in lines. Uh, part of Storm's head is getting this sort of concave thing going on. It's really weird. But Kitty Pride is perfect. She's completely human-looking. And she's uh, – this is in both – he has two versions. He has pre-time skip and post-time skip. And Kitty Pride looks like Kitty Pride in both of them. She doesn't even grow cat ears. And the what he writes about her is like, oh, she's the best fighter. She's the best leader. Um, her one flaw is that she's kind of naive, but she takes charge of the X-Men. And the two things I note about this is – I was like, oh, wait. Also, she's the only one who doesn't have a tragic backstory. Her backstory is that she's kind of doing a Nancy Drew superhero thing and solving crimes with her powers. And then she gets invited up into the X-Men and then basically becomes the leader. Everybody else has these awful things going on. Like uh, Jean Grey has this abusive family and all these terrible things. But Kitty is fantastic. And so she comes to lead the X-Men. And so one, it creates this horrible implication of the character who looks the most normal and has the most normal backstory is apparently the best qualified to lead this whole group. That yeah. whole thing is being outcasts. And yeah, that's secondly, really up. and secondly, it's like reading the writing and looking at the design. It's very clear that Kitty Pride is like his ideal. Like yeah, it, I'm looking at an image right now that's. Uh, that's of Rogue, Storm, or Rogue, Aurora, uh, Jean, and Kitty. And everyone else is just, like, really depressed looking. And Kitty's just like, hiya! I'm having a yeah. great time! <laughs> it, she, she's bright, and she's like, she, everybody else is miserable, but she's pretty, and she's having a great time, and she's a better fighter, she's a better leader. That That's where those traits, where it's like they give her constant breath. That's where it's more relevant here, where it's obviously as yeah, this weird, like, I'm super infatuated with this type of girl, and you see it yeah. leak into his other designs. And so Kitty Pride is this huge linchpin of X-Men comics, and the weird thing is... The more so she's become, the less interesting she's become. Yeah. And so it's like, I don't know what people are crushing on anymore. There's nothing to her. She's plain. She's flat. Meanwhile, Cyclops, the guy who used to be the guy everyone hates, he's gotten the 
best, like, even under Bendis, he had, like, a solid personality, even oh, if yeah. his plot wasn't going anywhere. No, and he was, I don't know, like, that Cyclops, um, like, fake revolutionary Cyclops is hot as hell. Uh, yeah. In a way that's different and also the same as, like, stick up his ass, uh, even though he still has a stick up his ass, it's just, like, a stick that's been, you know, I guess his ass pre-Emma Frost and his ass post-Emma Frost, um, because that is how I think of that. I think very specifically about Scott Summers's Summers' ass um, in very yeah, literal terms. Pre Emma Frost, it's like I, I, oh my god, one of my favorite X Men issues, Dazzler, the first appearance of Dazzler, and Jean Grey and Scott Summers go to a disco, and Scott is like he's this total square. He's wearing this blue suit. Um, he's got like a big ass watch on his arm he's wearing a white button up shirt or something i think he's got brown dress shoes and it's like he's a total square it's just this utter square and then after emma frost he's like he's still a total square but he's like very aware he's a square yeah. he's got to stick up his ass it's like you know what i'm gonna embrace this this is yeah. who i am and it's like it's it, it Gives him a little extra attitude because now yeah. he's not just like, eh, I'm the leader. But now it's like, I'm the leader. I'm the guy nobody likes. I'm Mr. No Fun and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think uh, Rowan Kaiser wrote a, a, wrote a little thing about how uh, Scott Summers didn't really start to be interesting. Or it's kind of, he Scott Summers beginning to be interesting happened around the same time he was allowed to be sexual. Um, yeah. And I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot to that argument. Um, and I, you know, I, I like the way Bendis writes, uh, writes Scott. Um, it's one of his few like high points. Although he does get into a weird thing where he also starts like having everybody swoon over Scott. It's like mm, that's weird. Uh, but sorry, I just did. Thing. I just did a jack off pantomime. But then yeah, he. You couldn't see it's that. like weird thing with Bendis. He created Maria Hill, right? Um, but he also treats Maria Hill horribly. She's like under every time she's under his pen, she's an incompetent screw up who can't do anything right. And in the X Men run, she's a horrible incompetent who can't do anything right. Who also wants to fuck Scott, and it's like because the uh, the cuckoos look into her mind and find that out, and it's like it's really weird. So it's like it's this kind of th yeah he, he it's this weird thing. It's like where you he can't make genuine human interactions or lust or crushes yeah. so it's like everybody wants to fuck scott he's the bomb it's like no come on she attracts a very specific kind of person mm -hmm. and it's like emma frost is like you and i have talked about this it's like emma frost is supposed to be this big femdommy bondage queen kind of thing and all the writers are terrified of it oh my god it's like there's never any indication that scott it's like other than like what we feel and can feel out of him because of his personality, but they never do anything it with it. In There's nothing in there going like Scott definitely likes to be tied up. Scott definitely likes to be leashed and collared and walked around like a dog. Scott definitely likes to be pegged. And it's like it's this weird thing. It's like it's this weird thing where Emma exists as a bondage queen, as, as this dummy person and kind of an abstract. Yeah. She's allowed to be sexual, but only in that really boring bad girls 90s sexual way. Yeah. Um, and her, I'm trying to think of Dommy stuff. Um, because there was a, there was a point where I like tried to do some research, uh, this was a couple years ago. 
Um, there's a moment in, I mean, she does, in her fight with Thor in uh, Avengers versus X-Men, she does a lot of like threats of uh, doing different kink stuff to Thor, which mm. is like weird. Um, but yeah, there's, there's like a, I think she, there's a forced feminization reference in that one. Mm. Um, but not, I've never seen any of that stuff in reference to Scott. Um, with the only thing that I've, I've kind of seen is, I mean, I, you know, you're able to pick up the kind of, uh, fetish femdom vibe, uh, from some of their kind of psychic affair stuff, um, and kind of early on in their relationship. I think there's oh I forgot who whose run it was. Grant um, Morrison did the first stuff. Of yeah, them. there was I think it's either Grant Morrison or it's uh, no it's not Whedon. I think it's Grant Morrison. Uh, there's an issue where she's uh, where they're like about to go at it, and she's you know she does the thing where she makes herself appear to be the phoenix. Um, oh yeah, that's she does a lot. Morrison. Yeah. And then uh, they're kissing, and he looks in the mirror, and it's uh, – it might be Whedon, actually. Might be. Because um, the cover is Emma Frost and Wolverine kissing. Right. Um, and, yeah, he looks in the mirror, and he sees himself as Wolverine. Mm. Um and he's like, what the fuck? What are you doing? And she's like, well, isn't that what you always wanted anyways? You always wanted to be him? And it's a very uh, – it's a very, you know, humiliation-y, um, mind-fuck. It's, uh, that, that, that's where they seem to be willing to go, like, yeah. with words. It's like, they don't like getting physical with it. Yeah. It's like, like you said with Thor, she'll make a lot of bluster and talk about it. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's like, with, it's like they also always depict it as, like, this really bad kind yeah. of thing. It's like, there's never any writer going, ha-ha, I'm totally not jacking off to this. <laughs> <laughs> with it, it's it's always depicted as this like that's definitely really scary. The only person who does treat it like that is Claremont, right. and as we both know, he's always horny and never logs off. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and even Claremont uh, doing—I mean, maybe it was just because it was the time period that it was. Um, but you know, his Hellfire Club stuff. Um, and also the art that like the, you know, my, I actually may be basing this just on my like very huffy, like tight lipped pearl clutching reaction to uh, the artists, the various artists misunderstanding of how corsetry works. Mm. Um, <laughs> because I have all these things lacing up in the front. And I'm just like, no, stop it. This is wrong. Um, it, it was like. There was a lot of bondage, but it was kind of tame bondage to what you'd expect now. Yeah, I mean, but except, I mean, the, the bondage that gets called, that's, that's clearly coded as bondage, um, is very tame and doesn't get, and, and gets, it gets kind of shrouded in just kind of this general, I mean, the inspiration for the Hellfire Club uh, is the um, the Avengers, the, the British television show, um, mm. they have an episode with the Hellfire Club where Diana Rigg, uh, who plays Emma Peel, um, wears this kind of dominatrixy outfit uh, and does a thing with a snake. And there, you know, she and uh, the dude whose name I forgot, uh, they're like infiltrating this like fan, this Hellfire, the Hellfire Club, uh, which is a little bit less evil in in this TV in that TV show than uh, Claremont's version of the Hellfire Club is, but. 
it's it's you know rich people doing world domination with women in in mm. you know sexy outfits right but it, it, you know the kink element of it even though there she is in you know the, this corset and uh girder belt and long gloves and there's whips and stuff the act you know it's it's just kind of all part of this general atmosphere of sleazy sexiness yeah it's not specific yeah. and it's like like again with like for some reason, somehow, out of all these writers for X-Men, we never get one who's in outright into femdom. And yeah. it's really weird. It's like, and it also speaks to, like, which X-Women get focused on. Like, I've talked, like, we mentioned a little bit about, like, how Storm kind of fell off in, like, ma in mattering in stories mm -hmm. uh, as you fell into the Jim Lee run and then further and further on. Um, and, like, you get a lot of that, like, the more, like, really big and powerful, like, the really assertive ones, they kind of fall off. And, like, you get more and more of Kitty Pride, and you get more and more of, like, these sort of, like, less intense kind of things. It's yeah. like, and, and we all end up at, like, AVX, where, like, Emma is talking about, like, all these kinks, and it's very meant, much meant to be, oh, that would be so humiliating. And in a way that the writer isn't actually saying, that would be so humiliating, and it totally gets me hard. Yeah, unlike Claremont, who has, you know... Fucking yeah. nanny robot force feeding Wolverine baby food. Yeah. Uh, and talking about, you know, putting brushing beasts fur and putting little bows in it. Um, yeah. Which is, or, or Professor X waking up with the Morlocks in, you know, in fucking leather chaps. Um, yeah. Being like, what's happening here? Um, just these, you know, yeah, always horny, never logs off, never apologizes. It's just there. Yeah, and so it's like it's really weird, and like the way the sexuality changes in the various writers yeah. of X Men. Like you have Jim Lee, where it's it's very plain and kind of boring porno magazine, uh, Sports Illustrated swimsuit special. There's that one um, sort of iconic, which is weird because it's not that interesting. Um, panel of Psylocke coming out of the water. I knew with what you were going to say when you said, "There's one." And I said, and I was like, yep, it's going to be Psylocke coming out of the water. And it's like, it's very Sports Illustrated oh, yeah. swimsuit special. Totally. And like, I know a lot of readers remember it. It's just weird because like Psylocke's not that all that interesting, nope. despite how weird and fucked up her history is. And she's like, she's, she's that very boring mainstream kind of sexy. That was very big in the nineties with the bad girls mm -hmm. craze. And it's like, it's sort of a weird thing all over. Although... Since you mentioned Beast, uh, before we close this out, we should probably talk oh, about Beast. we have to talk about Beast. <sighs> Beast is, I, I was, like, when I was, when I was uh, leaving the drive-thru, I was like, you have to remember to talk about Beast because I'm really horny for Beast. Um, <laughs> Beast is so hot. And it he, sucks he because he gets written in really weird, uneven ways. Yeah, especially now where he's just a punching bag. But he's so hot. He is. And it's um, not even just because he's covered in fur and really big. No. It's like the specific designs. It's like you have Cat Beast, which is obviously the furriest. And like when it has the right artist, it's really good. When it has the wrong artist, it's really bad. I don't know. Because it's like because mainstream superhero artists can't draw furries anymore. They lost the ability. And it's really awful when you notice that they can't. It's like, how do we do a cat head on a person body and it looks all fucked up and it's not sexy at all? 
But you go back to like oh, when Beast was on the Avengers and the X Men kind of days, and he was mm-hmm. that bouncing blue. He had a little bit similar to Nightcrawler there, where he was really positive and energetic in a more over the top way yeah. than it was. But it was really nice because, like, maybe you don't have that kind of energy, but it's nice that someone does. Yeah. And he's like literally bouncing around the house. He's standing on his hands. He's like, because he had, he kind of had it both ways. Like, he's this super smart guy. And he'll quote Shakespeare and he'll be like that, a little pretentious maybe, but he's not all that all the time, which really balances him out. Yeah. He has that super upbeat self. Yeah, I feel like that's an interesting comparison to Kurt because he does that, that attitude is really good in like the in addition to being hot and charming, but not charming in a sleazy way. And I feel like the date with Hank would be. I, I might actually prefer that to the date with Kurt, just because the date with Kurt, they're, I, I don't know, my anxiety levels are in general maybe a little too high for any potential like swashbuckling mm. that I might get up to with Kurt. As like as very romantic and appealing as it is, I feel like Hank might be a little bit more my speed. Um, yeah, Hank is going <laughs> to take you like Hank will take you to like because like I think some people assume like he'd take you to the opera whatever and hank can take you to the opera but if you want he'll also take you to the greasiest fast food place in the city oh my god he so would or yeah he would yeah hank would go to hank would has probably has like a document list of restaurants that he's read various reviews of that he really wants to try Mm. but not in like a, you know, pretentious stick out of his ass way. He's not he's, a foodie. He's like, he just is really he, excited. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's a shame that's gone because now they have to have him beef with Scott and the rest of the X-Men at every oh, opportunity. God. And it's like, he has no friends anymore. So he doesn't sad. even have, he doesn't even have Simon who's only interesting when he's with Beast. I feel like this is a pattern, actually. The, these characters who we really like who don't have any friends anymore in X-Men. No, they don't. The The more the writers like them, the more they cut off, like, their friendships. It's like, they actually don't like Beast. He's, he's totally yeah. just a punching bag. But with, like, Kitty, they cut off everything and they sort of isolate her. With Beast, it's like, oh, okay. at first it was just sort of a, pl- he was just a plot catalyst. It's like, we need somebody to kick off this whole Scott and Logan are mad at each other again. It's like, mm, Beast, he'll do it. Yeah. And then it just, he got stuck there. That sucks. Um, Um, but I mean, that does like, I'm not saying that the writers of X-Men are abusers, um, because that would be a crazy thing to say about something that a writer does to a fictional character. But I mean, I am going to point out that that is literally an abuse tactic, um, isolating people from their friends and loved ones. Um, it's it's a really weird thing. It's like, I, I think it's a more general thing of like comics, don't have a lot of that kind of thing anymore. Yeah. It's like it's it's all heroes, all villains, and the and the X Men don't have their baseball issues anymore. Yeah. The Avengers don't have their like we're gonna hang out for a while issues anymore. Um, because it's it, you got to make those sales. Nobody is yeah. selling enough to be secured to do a we're gonna do a twenty two page pool party issue. Yeah, and that's you know I mean that's one of the things I was actually really hopeful about about um. I mean, one of the things I generally liked about the about Wolverine and the X Men um, is you had antics. Yeah, uh, I love antics. Give me antics. Yes. Um, even you know, and you actually you have a pretty cute beast in that. 
Yeah. I like Beast in that comic. He's, you know, everything's going wrong and everything's broken and this, the bathrooms are attacking students and he's in his lab trying to fix it all. Like that's yeah. a, I would, that is a, a, you know, a pretty recent Beast who I would absolutely go on dates with. Yeah, that, that's, that's probably like, I didn't like Wolverine the X-Men because I don't think Jason Aaron's great at comedy, but it's like, that's a good place mm-hmm. for Beast. But it's like, he's, it's just, it's just rough for him. Yeah. It is. It is really rough for him. But I, what I really want them to do, I've been dying for them to do this, but they can't because he's stuck in his stupid angsty plot. I have been dying for them to finally acknowledge that the Beauty and the Beast plot doesn't work anymore. <laughs> that everybody wants, that, that so many kinds of people want to fuck people like Beast. Yeah. I'm dying for it and they won't get it. Oh, it's so frustrating because he can't do that like, oh, woe is me because like so many people would be like, yo, can I fuck Beast? He's so hot. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what that plot line would look like. Um, it's Please I, tell me. It's like I imagine because like back in Morrison's run when he did one of the things that really made me angry, especially in later interviews, he had uh, he had Beast break up with his uh, reporter girlfriend because like uh, the tabloids or whatever were calling it bestiality and yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, and then Beast goes on to say it's like to claim he's gay, right. gay representative, even though he's not. This isn't a Bobby thing, which we might want to mention briefly. Okay, um, but it's like. And so with him, I think it would just be kind of like him being like kind of like moody. It's like, you know, I haven't had a date in a very long time. And just like getting on like OkCupid or Tinder or whatever and just being like expecting nothing. And then all of a sudden he gets this like he gets dudes and girls. It's like, oh, my God, you're gorgeous. I I want this so badly. Like face hurts from smiling. Um and I'm just kind of like at the edge of my seat, like physically reacting with excitement, wanting to read this uh, this story arc in X Men. Um, yeah, it would like, be the best, and he'd be so cute about it. And, yes. Yeah, and God, everyone wants to fuck Beast. Everyone is horny as hell for Beast. It's ridiculous. Um, yes. And it's, by which I mean, it's not really ridiculous. Oh, it's completely understandable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that in this era that we're living in, where I think you said, you know, like every, you said something about everyone's eventually just going to be a furry by like in the next few years. Um, Like by 2025, I predict we will like, cause Andrew WK already has a fursona. I think by 2025, we're going to have a major pop star with a fursona. Oh my God. That's very exciting. I hope that's, I, I mean, I think it might happen sooner than that. Maybe. I mean, cause you had the, you had all those fursuits in those Taylor Swift videos. Hmm. It's like they're becoming aware. Now we just need to get someone who's really into it. <laughs> um, yeah, that makes sense. But I mean, yeah, you've got like Melanie Martinez doing her, you know, age play pop star thing. Um, mm. It's it, I think it's I think it's in the future. But yeah, I mean, I think that with that, but with that reality, like you're right, the Beauty and the Beast thing, especially with Beast in his very specific design, um, which does which is very evocative. Uh, I mean, the reason why Catface Beast works for me is because it's even when it's kind of awkwardly done, is it reminds me of the Cocteau uh, Beauty and the Beast. It's <laughs> uh, like hell fucking yeah. Um, mm. But also like the number of us who grew up with the Disney Beauty and the Beast cartoon, where we were all disappointed at the end when he turns into a, you know, a furless dude. Um, yeah, he's this generic <laughs> handsome and nobody likes him. Nobody draws fan art of him. No. Nobody draws fan art of the prince. 
yeah it's sad but he's yeah total generic handsome um sorry i like just thinking about it i thought of gaston and have to like shift myself back to this conversation because i can go <laughs> on a mental gaston tangent that yeah. will last me like a week uh but yeah i mean i think that in this this era that you know it's the we will we will all be furries soon. yeah cool um but yeah, the the beast is gay thing that you, I, I guess had glossed over that because that's that uh, that issue of it's easy to forget because it doesn't become up a it it's it was caused a big controversy at the time, but in the grand scheme yeah. of X Men things, it's like blah 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 blah. You forget it quickly when you try when you remember the whole Zorn is actually Magneto plot. <laughs> God, um, but yeah, that's uh, I, I did look it up though after you mentioned it. Um, and that's the same issue where I think Emma, that's like one of the issues where Emma and Scott are kind of beginning the psychic affair. So yeah. like, there's a lot of other stuff that kind of, you know, it, it's way bigger than yeah. that. Um, but the, the gay X-Men, the Bobby, 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 it's like, it's like, we, it's like, we can already talk about like how bad the coming out thing and how rushed it was and how obvious like i need something at the end what am i gonna do it's like oh bobby's gay it's like it's like the thing is like i don't want to argue about it. it's like should he be gay or whatever it's like are all that was like well done it's like no it wasn't well done it's like bobby can be gay but it wasn't well done yeah there's no problem with bobby being gay but it was just really poorly the other thing is just like of all the characters in the x-men who get to be gay finally bobby I mean, there was that thing with him and um, North Star. Yeah, North Star, uh, which Chuck was really, which was I, they had really good chemistry. And there was that thing with them in the, um, I want to say sick bay, but they're not in space. Uh, hospital place, you know, hmm. the medical room of I don't know. They were recovering. It was a hurt, comforty kind of thing. It was, you know, it, yeah. it worked for me a lot. And then North Star hits on him, which is weird because it was Chuck Austin's run. Oh, it was so yeah, it was. Um, I had to kind of go back to it because it was a run that I'd kind of skimmed over. Um, but yeah, that totally worked for me. And then Bobby kind of rebuffs him. And yeah. it's but it's like out of all that, it's like Bobby is like um, one of the X-Men characters that has struggled for years to get a personality to be interesting. Yeah. And they've got nothing for him. And even now they've got nothing for him. Well, he's now he's a born person. that's gay. Um, <laughs> What do you and mean? That's like, not that doesn't stand in. That can't just be someone's whole personality. What? Oh God! <laughs> it, could, it could be, but you'd think they'd do more with it. But it's like so. It's like not Storm, who had the whole thing with Yukio. Not uh, Eric and Charles, who were totally dating in the Claremont run. Yeah, and whose um, whose breakup spawned the basically the whole premise of the X Men. Right, and it's like, and not. Ilyana, not Kitty. It's like, nope. Bobby? <laughs> it's like, that's the motherfucker you picked to have your big coming out? Bobby? It's like, who cares? It's Iceman. It's like, I see people saying he's their, Iceman's their favorite X-Men. Based on what? Maggot is way more interesting. Maggot's cool. <laughs> Maggot's got weird powers and a funky design. I mean, I, I like I, I was saying I was talking to a friend recently. Um, I told you this, but I'm going to say it again because it's funny. Um, and I was complaining that they made them like the most boring X-Men character gay. 
And uh, my friend, who doesn't know the X-Men at all, he was like, oh, you mean like accountant man? Like, yes, literally. Bobby is literally, he's, he's got literally like a degree. an accountant. Yeah, he literally has a degree in accounting. He's one of the few X-Men to have a higher education degree. In accounting. Um, but yeah, I mean, the last thing with him that I really remember um, was like him and Kitty breaking up. And her being yeah. like, being in a relationship with you was really boring and weird and dumb. And, it's with the, and Bendis was kind of the author of yeah. that. Because Jason Aaron was very big on them being together and also on everybody wanting to fuck Bobby. He even had Firestar wanting to fuck Bobby. Wow. Yeah, that was in um, the sort of the next thing of Wolverine and the X-Men. Yeah. The, yeah. He kind of had a Spider-Man and his amazing friends thing going on there. Okay. Uh, no, that was um, that was amazing X Men, which he okay, left yeah. very quickly, and then another writer. Took, and it was a very weird run because he had North Star in that book, and North Star wasn't a jerk. But that's not fun. No, it's not. It wasn't at all. It was a very weird book. But um, and so it's like you got Bobby, and it's like, oh, he's our biggest profile gay character. It's like you pick Bobby for this. Bobby has nothing. Bobby's boring. Bobby's got. And it's like, and just like so many of the X-Men, where's his friends? Who are his friends now? What's yeah. his relationships? It's like everybody in, and that's, that kind of kills a lot of the crushes now. There's no, there's nothing to crush on. Nobody yeah. has relationships anymore. Nobody has personality. It's like they, they're all connected each, to each other, but not in a meaningful way. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is, again, like one of the things I liked about Wolverine and the X-Men. And I think fans liked about it based on the amount of like, you know, uh, Quentin Choir kid apocalypse fan art that there is out there. Um, yeah. Is you have these kind of, you have these relationships uh, between characters that people are able to connect to and people are able to. Yeah, it's like, I'll give it that. I didn't think it was a well done thing, but it was, it was definitely about relationships. Yeah. There's something there. It's like, I think it could have been better written, oh, but yeah. I definitely get the appeal. It's like, because when you have all these other X Men and it's all about, end of the world shit yeah, it's like where's the sure yeah where i need that i need the relationships i need those quiet moments um, you need the cool issue yeah and i mean even something like uh you know after uh after battle of the atom um they had they had this they had the scots like kind of sit and have a conversation with each other yeah um I, I really like like that you know that very short scene I really liked um and I wish they they were they did more stuff like that it's it's just there's no time anymore yeah it's like right now in X-Men where we are it's like they're uh the Terrigen mists are covering the earth and it turns out one it kills mutants and two it makes them sterile kind of a weird thing to add it's like okay mutants can't give birth that's horrible but it's like – it's not like all mutants come from mutants. They right. never did. It's a really weird thing to tack on. It's like it's like you know it's like Chuck Xavier's parents weren't mutants, nope. right? Yeah. It's like – but it's like – so now uh, everybody's dying. Uh, Storm has moved the school and all the mutants to limbo. Um, <laughs> and it's like – seriously, that's the current plot. God. She is like she talked to magic and went, you know, it's like, no, it's the only safe place for mutants. Like what? Limbo. It's like, all right. It's like you guys, you motherfuckers could go to space. Yeah, what about space? I mean, the, the humans would track you there due to plot contrivance, but space would be easier. Um, Maybe they're probably uh, more comfortable. 
Yeah, much more comfortable. They have space. They have I mean, do they still have space friends? They, I, they, they could reach out to some space friends, or they could just like get forged to do some shit for them. Just build. It's like it's like we need to do asteroid M, but far enough away that it's too much of a hassle to come try and kill us. <laughs> just a little out of Earth's orbit, maybe closer to the moon. You know. Yeah. No, that works. Um, but um, it's it's like. And now it's like everything is too desperate. Everything is too – we're fighting for all of our survival that there's no time to care about like what is Storm feeling now or who is Logan having conflicted feeling about. And it's like so there's nobody to crush on anymore. Yeah. They're all kind of dead inside. That's so sad. It's, it's, <laughs> it's really it, sad. It, it's the kind of the way the X-Men is now. It's like they, they're – Physically, they're keeping going, but there's the soul is gone. Yeah. It's like, and right now, it's like people are worried that like the Inhumans are gonna replace mutants, and it's like I get the fear. It's like that makes sense, but right now, really, what the X Men are, it's sort of like, um, I don't know if you pay attention to wrestling, but I don't. But go ahead. Right now, well, recently. And the big guy they tried to get over is Roman Reigns. And Roman Reigns is very unlikable. He's not well-liked, but Vince McMahon, the guy in charge of the WWE, yeah. wants to get him over, wants to make him popular, wants to make him the next big thing. And so to get him over, they basically get like in the all-star wrestler cast to push him. And so that's kind of what the X-Men are now. In humans, like, they're, they're going to be the next big movie, and it's like that influences the comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't want to get rid of the X-Men, but they want to use the X-Men to make the Inhumans more popular. Okay. So basically, instead of making mutants Inhumans, what they do is they make them so linked. Because like, the X-Men, they don't have the rights to the movies, and maybe their popularity is waning a little, but they're still much, much, much more popular than the Inhumans. Right, yeah. And so, like, if how can we make this work? It's like, let's gin up this conflict where all the Inhuman shit is inextricably tied to a much more popular franchise, and that's how we'll get them. It's not working, but that's what they're aiming for. It's like, they don't want to get rid of mutants, even though they're doing, they're killing off a ton of them. Yeah. They don't want to get rid of the X-Men, but they do want to use them as a stepladder. That for makes a, a lot of sense. It's, and it's really weird because they, they don't have a lot going for them. Like, Black Bolt is MIA. Uh, Medusa is cool, but she can't carry an entire franchise. Yeah. And so, you've got her, you've got a couple other sort of noteworthy in humans, but... You have them, and you have a bunch of, like, fuck, random fuckers, some really uninspired new Inhumans. Uh, some of them were designed by Joe Monteria, and it's, like, it's not, it's it's very 90s. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's, there's no soul to them. They're, like, okay, you're you're a superhero, and you're an Inhuman, whatever. But, um, so, they, they're running on, like, empty air yeah. for the humans like the only inhuman who's really connecting right now is the one with the least to do with them and that's miss marvel right yeah it was about it was about to say like she's she's the inhuman i'm interested in um and she's the inhuman whose stuff i've read and whose stuff i continue to buy um you know her and her and her uh see lockjaw lockjaw yeah lockjaw fucking great um i I, you know they have nothing to do with this whole Inhumans versus X-Men shit, and that's why people like her. Yeah. Part of it. She's great. She's uh, – I, I, that's a – she's a great character. It's a great book, um, and her and them giving her lockjaw was delightful, um, and I continue to enjoy it. 
But in terms of Marvel books, I'm, you know, I actually like buy and continue to read. Um, it's Ms. Marvel and Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Um, I'm trying to think. There are some of the newer, some of the new books that are, are coming out now I have interest in. But I honestly like don't even want to touch anything until Secret Wars is over. Um, it's amazing that it's not. <laughs> they really fucked that up. But yeah, uh, but I, I don't know. I feel like I, um, you know, the kids, the the future, you know, the people who in, uh, you know, 15 years are going to be doing their podcast about comic book characters they had crushes on as kids. I mean, I'm glad they at least have like Squirrel Girl and Ms. Marvel and, you know, um, I, Miles Morales is pretty hit and miss for me because I'm not a Bendis fan. Of, I'm not a fan of his writing. Um, so the character I, I like. Uh, but again, I'm not a I'm not a kid now, so I don't really know how kids feel. About it, it, him. It's like it's like if any of them are talking about comics, it's like because let's face it, they can't compete with animation with the crushes. It's going to be yeah. a lot of Steven Universe talk. That's true. Yeah. It will be. A lot of, it's going to be a lot of Steven. It's like, because it's funny. I'm, I'm thinking like, like right now, um, we, you mentioned like, like talked about how I think like it's very soon we're going to get like everybody's going to be a fur. I think like we, th- I think of old stuff like the Robin Hood thing mm-hmm. and whatever. I think of like Lola Bunny, who is the very much normie furry. <laughs> yeah. She's the mainstream. But I think like Zootopia is about to come out. Kids are going to be talking about that uh, 20 years later. <laughs> no, um, we should probably wrap up pretty soon, but yeah, I do want to like, pre- since you did bring up Zootopia, can you uh, explain to, to me and, and the listeners kind of what the deal is with that? Because I think it's it's pretty like interesting. Zootopia, it's like it's um their whole thing. It's really funny because they talk up this idea of like a world full of animal people as it's this grand, grand big new idea all the trailers <laughs> do. And it's like it's really weird because – even for people who are furries, they've seen this a million times. So it's it's like ignoring that piece of the advertising. It's sort of a it's a return to roots of like talking animal cartoons. It's something we haven't seen in a while. Like think about it. Like we, you've had your Bugs Bunny, uh, the Looney Tunes constant reboots with that uh, one diversion into action cartoons. But like talking animal cartoons kind of disappeared. Yeah. Um, and so we got Zootopia, which is like the next – the return of all that. You've got Nick Wilde who is the ever-standard fox and he's got that sort of office guy get, get up. And you've got Judy Hopps who's a cop and they're going to have some sort of wacky conflict or whatever. That will probably be a boring heterosexual romance too. But it's like for most of it, it's just the fact of the setting that's really interesting because I mm-hmm. guess I could kind of get it. Them talking about like we've never seen a world like this before. Um, <laughs> I think that's actually one of the taglines. Oh my of god! To- because yeah, I did. I have heard like um, people talking about how the, um, the like the social media, especially, um, is really really pander. Like feels like it's very pandering to furries. It's maybe it is, but it's like the thing is like. It, it it would need I, – I think more of it is just a, it's sort of returning to like writers not bothering time. It's like I guess like there's already been released a book where Judy Hopps grows three stories high. Um, so maybe some macro guy <laughs> is on that. Um, but it's like it's, – it's partly that maybe. Maybe the furries in the industry are 
violent directing I think but just the return of talking animal animation because it's been gone like the other example I could think of is Spongebob but we don't really think of it as that yeah. do we? I'm um, sure I mean I don't I, I also there's something that's that's very kind of unsexy about the the way they're drawn yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like nobody thinks twice about that. Like when you think of this kind of stuff, when you think of like animators going out of their way to draw a sexy girl bunny next to Bugs Bunny. Yeah, I mean Lola like, Bunny that's... is is like very high level horny design. Um, yeah, that's why she's the normie fur. Yeah. Um. So it's like that that whole thing, that kind of style. It's been long gone. It's like we went through a lot of iteration. Like uh, back in the '90s, the last sort of gasp of it was um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles ripoffs. Mm-hmm. Like you got your extreme dinosaurs, biker mice from Mars, all that. Um, and then it kind of it kind of died off for a while. Um, action cartoon, comedy cartoon, humans, 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 humans. Maybe like. It's like I think of talking animal cartoons that did come out, and the biggest one is Madagascar. That's weird to think, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's like Madagascar and the penguins. Those are the big ones. And they're and the very an- – they're just they're just talking animals. They're not really anthro. No, and like even the uh, penguins, which were surprisingly popular, they can't compete shit with the minions in terms of what's popular right. with kids. Yeah. Um, and so now Zootopia is like – it's this weird thing. It's like it's – Definitely for kids, but it's like you're you're always wondering. It's like how what percentage behind the scenes actually knows what's up? Yeah. Okay. So that's our diversion to end on. I, suppose. I think. I mean, that's. I think that's a great place to stop. Um, thank you so much for coming on. No, I mean, I'm thank really you. glad you explained Zootopia to me because I like part of this was just kind of my like secret plan to just get you to explain stuff to me because I like really enjoy it when you do. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. Um, is there anything of yours that you want to plug? Um, get people no, to like, not at the moment, nothing coming out, nothing like all of my stuff that's out is way too old to promo. So it's like nothing at the moment. Okay. Well, I'm still going to promo. Some of your Go stuff. ahead. Um, even though you don't think it's worth mentioning, I'm going to say that anyone who's listening to this or anyone who exists um, should check out Colin's um, Itch.io page uh, that has uh, has three games. I've only played two of them. Um, mm. Anime Hell 1995 is fantastic. Um, you are a horse. Everyone should play. Every <laughs> single person. Um, if you can read English you should play that game. Um, it's Thank one you. of the, I, I, honestly, like, it is one of the best things I've ever, one of the best pieces of media I have ever consumed. Oh, jeez. <laughs> like, I'm not just Really liked that. being a horse. I love being a horse. It's so much fun. It's really, really funnily written. Um, and yeah, I'll put links to your, uh, your Twitter and your Tumblr in the show notes, if that's cool. Yeah. Great. Um, sorry, Colin, I think you're really funny and smart. Like, and thank you. I know you. <laughs> <laughs> like it's yeah, that's that's why we're here. Um, and I'm gonna gush about it because I uh, I gotta like get some of the Jewish grandma out of my system because I'm never gonna do it for real. So, Aww. well, thank you so much. Have a great night, and uh, I'll and- see you on Twitter. Hard Eyes is recorded in Los Angeles, California, by Lilzy Trashy. 
We are on both iTunes and Stitcher, so if you like the show, please subscribe and give us a good review and or rating. Hard Eyes episodes and show notes can be found online at hardeyes.sexy, which is also our Tumblr. You can follow us on Twitter at hardeyes underscore cast, and please consider supporting this podcast on Patreon. There are tons of really cool reward tiers, which you can read all about on patreon.com slash hardeyes. Thank you for listening, and I will see you in just a couple of weeks with an extra special second X-Men episode.